Well, uh, this week um, I saved a life and uh, there was an echidna that was um, walking walking across the road just out the front of the property and um, it had ventured just near the roundabout um, and I don't know, it was a little lost but it was venturing across the road and there I was, drove past and I said to myself, here's an opportunity and um, got out and then I didn't want to pick it up. Like Someone like Mitch Roberts would just pick it up, I didn't want to pick it up. So I just shuffled it kind of back onto the footpath and it, it, it went back and I, it looked at me really gratefully. And we had a, had quite a connection early. It came right up to my feet, was like sniffing around. And I haven't seen the kidna in the wild. I haven't seen the kidna for quite some time. Um, and so I was looking at this thing just going, this is an amazing little animal. And for a couple of minutes, I was just looking at it going, this is, this is fantastic. Just kind of followed it around. And then I see my mate Robbie Herkes and, um, Robbie is, is a good mate of mine. I really, really thoroughly enjoy working with him. Um, but we nearly finished, um, like working together this week because I saw him come around the roundabout just out, out the front and he had this smile on his face and, um, came around. He's just looking at me and he got all excited and for some reason decided like, I, I'm not going to drive on the road anymore. I'm going to drive and jump the footpath, mount the curb, jump the footpath and just kind of come straight at me. And he thought it was a big game. He's smiling away. I'm just sitting there going, no, Rob, no. He just keeps smiling and coming at me. And um, I'm like, I'm terrified for my little mate who's buried in the grass. And Robbie just comes screaming up, parks next to me with this smile on his face. Just, How, how's your day going? I'm looking down in fear. And he has missed this echidna by this much. So you are a lucky man, Rob, because oh, I couldn't have looked at you in the eyes anymore if I'd have seen this thing explode in front of me. Um, but just so you all know, he, um, he, he went off and, uh, the echidna is, um, he's safe and sound and he's doing his thing out and on the property. So he's good to go. Um, we, uh, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 55 today. If you've got your, um, Bibles, if you want to open up to that. Last week we started, um, looking at Isaiah 55 verse 1. And over the next few weeks, we are just going to, we're going to venture through Isaiah 55 and we're going to see where God takes us as a community. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump into the Word. Father, we come before you as a family this morning, and as Narelle opened with just so, so wonderfully, we come before you all in different stages. We've all had different weeks. We're carrying different things. Some of us are celebrating. Some of us are mourning. And some of us are just kind of everywhere in between. And so, Father, I thank you that um, you know us. I thank you that you know exactly what is going on in our lives. You know what we're struggling with. You know our victories. You know the things that um, are going really well for us. And so, Father, I just thank you that you are a God that meets us where we're at. You're a God that loves us. You're a God that cares for us. You know the thoughts that are in our minds, the troubles that are in our hearts. And so, Father, we just thank you that you're a God that's kind. We thank you that you're a God that's good. And as we open your word this morning, we just thank you again that your word is relevant, that your word is powerful, that you carry so much or all authority. And so, Father, I just pray that as we open your word, that you would just speak so powerfully into our hearts. And I want to pray that we would just be really good at listening to your word, that we would be a people who are good at following, that we would be a people who are good at humbling ourselves. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us with those things because sometimes they don't come overly naturally. And, Father, in all of this, I just pray that you would increase our joy and satisfaction in you. 
And we pray that your name would be lifted up above all else. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at Isaiah 55. We looked at verse 1 last week. Um, we're going to venture into verse 2 and verse 3. So verse 1 last week said, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And verse 2 goes on to say, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Really simply from the off, Jesus is all satisfying. Um, I had a conversation with um, with someone this week and she, she posed a question. She said, don't you think like following Jesus and Christianity is the strangest thing in the world? Um, and in many ways, haven't we all kind of thought that? We've had times where we sit there and go, what does the cross actually mean? Like this guy died on a cross 2,000 years ago. How is this relevant today? for today? Haven't we all at some point questioned our faith? Paul did it. Um, haven't we all at points in our lives sat there and gone, what is it that we actually believe? And I had this conversation with this individual this, this week and they said, don't you think it's the strangest thing in the world to believe what we believe? And one of the things that like have, I've been thinking a lot about lately was just that, this idea that like nothing else even comes close to making sense. Um, no other philosophy in, in, in the world, no other train of thought, no other worldview, no other religion comes even close to making sense compared to Christianity. Um, and I know this because I experienced this. Um, this um, I was, I was um, up in Newcastle last night and um, we were out in um, out on this property and I just looked up and I just saw the stars and there's so many more stars in Newcastle. Um, and uh, and I'm looking up at the sky and just, it's like 10 o'clock last night, I'm looking up at the sky, it's so clear and God just made so, so much sense. I sat there and just in my head just praised him and worshipped him and it was just so, like nothing in the world comes close to being a satisfactory answer for why we are here for our purpose, for our identity, for how the world was formed. Nothing comes close. Nothing else comes close to making sense. And I just had this like um, overwhelming sense this week that I know that God loves me. And I've had just this response um, of worship that on Wednesday night we had worship night. And it was just this, um, I had this overwhelming response, like overwhelming feeling that I just, I love him. And I know that he loves me, but I love him and nothing else in this world comes close to satisfying me, comes close to close to bringing me the joy that he brings me, comes close to bringing me the, the answers or the satisfaction or the joy or the wisdom. Um, nothing else comes even close. And, um, and we're looking at this passage today where we're being asked this question, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And really at the heart of this question in Isaiah is just this, this simple understanding that it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to invest in anything that isn't God, that isn't about ushering in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever 
um, to spend our money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy, to fill our lives with things that aren't of him makes absolutely no sense. It's kind of what the writer in Isaiah 55 is getting at. And we are, as a church, in a really interesting season for us. Um, we use the word vision a lot. And in churches, we use this word vision. In, in, um, in the corporate world, you use this word vision all the time. And, um, and we're, we're told that we need to have grand visions in this life. Individually, we're told we need to have visions for our life about where we're going and we need to, we need to dream big. Um, we're told in business and all the time that we need to have a vision for our companies. We need to have a vision for our businesses and we need to have big grand visions for where we're going. And it's true as well in church. Like we as a church, as, um, as the center here at Dural, we need as a community of faith to have a big vision. Um, we are people who carry the Holy Spirit. As we gather this morning, the Spirit of God is with us. As we go throughout our weeks, the Spirit of God is living within us. We carry God wherever we go in all his authority, all his creativity, all his majesty. We have God himself, Yahweh, the creator of the universe, who spoke the world and the stars into existence with a word. We have him living within us. We are a community of people who carry a lot of authority and a lot of power. And that power we know is an upside down kingdom. It is not our power. It is his. It is not our authority. It is his. But the truth is that we are a community of people who gather together with the spirit of God, with all his authority and creativity and power and majesty and his vision. We gather together as a family where he is at the forefront of who we are. And so in many ways, we need to, as a community, have a ridiculously bold vision because we follow and serve a ridiculously bold and big God. We need to have a risky vision. Um, we need, as a community, to creatively explore how we can engage with our local community, with how we can play a part in renewing the people in this local community that we are a part of. And that is through relationships, that is through how we do business, that is how, through every single means in which we are involved in in our lives, we need to have a vision for our neighbours. We need to have a vision for our neighbours in the way in which we love them and serve them. And it needs to be a really deep vision. We need to have a vision for the poor, for the marginalized, and for the broken. And we need to have a really big vision for the way in which we as a community of people will outwork justice for the poor, for the marginalized, for the broken, for those who cannot speak for themselves. We need to step into a season of being bolder, of fighting injustice much more practically and addressing loneliness isolation and depression that is all too rampant um, in our society and the society we live in. And as a family, as a community of believers, we have so much to do. And the truth is we all want to do more. We all desire this. We all want to be a part of a community who is at the forefront of speaking into fighting injustice, um, that is about ushering in the kingdom of heaven and not waiting for it, not waiting for heaven to come, but playing a role in ushering the kingdom of heaven in now in all the little details of our lives, in every relationship that we're a part of, in every aspect of our workplace, in all the things that we're passionate about, we are called to usher in the kingdom of heaven and we're not called to wait for that. We're called to do that now. In Luke 4, verse 18 to 19, Jesus says this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
we desire this. If we carry the spirit of God, like we desire this in the deepest parts of who we are. Um, we want to see freedom for the prisoners. We want to bring good news to the poor. We want to see the blind see. We want to see the oppressed be released. We want to see the year of the Lord's favor come. Um, this is what God desires. This is what the Spirit desires. And if we carry the Spirit, His heart starts to take over our heart. And this starts to become our mandate in life. As a community, as a church, as a family, we desire this. And yet in all of this, I want to say, in terms of having a vision, that our doing is secondary to our being. And this is something that we're not overly good at grasping and comprehending in the deepest parts of who we are. Our doing is secondary to our being. The reason we do is because we want to point people towards Jesus, and not in a really superficial way, in the deepest way possible. Um, when we outwork justice, we have a responsibility to serve the marginalized to the poor and the poor, to speak on behalf of those who cannot speak for themselves. But we don't do it just for that. Um, we do that because in everything we want to do, we want to point people towards the glory of God. And God cares deeply about the poor. He cares deeply about the marginalized. He cares deeply about justice. And so therefore, we start to take on his heart and we start to care for the things that he cares for. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at the story of George Mueller. Um, we looked at his story about two years ago and we're going to look at it again because this is a man that, um, that achieved incredible things in his life. Um, I want to like just before we go into George Mueller, I want to encourage us. Um, if you don't read many biographies, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, biographies are incredible for like inspiring us in the long haul, long haul through the ups and through the downs. One of the things that we need to do is we need to constantly be learning from people who are around us. We need to look at our neighbors. We need to look at the people who are sitting next to us and be inspired by them and learn from them. We need to be a people who are constantly learning. Um, Paulie Sheaves constantly um, inspires me in this because he's always learning. He's always allowing people to speak into his life. No matter how young they are, no matter how old they are, he's always learning. And as a community, we need to be learning from each other. We also need to be mentored and be learning from people who are well, um, who have been in the grave for a long, long time. We need to be learning from people who have gone throughout history and done things and followed God in a way where we sit there and are inspired by their stories. And so I want to encourage us to be a people who read a lot. Um, there's two books that I've been reading lately. Um, and if you have read these, you'll know that these are really good. But if you haven't, um, Eric Metaxas writes a book. It's called Seven Men. Um, he's also got one called Seven Women. Um, and in this, they're just really short biographies, really short stories about people who have followed God and done some pretty incredible things. Um, if you haven't read that, have a read of that. Really, really good writer. Um, the second one 
is um, John Piper. It's called A Camaraderie of Confidence. Um, and this is a, an incredible little book. He looks at the stories of um, Charles Spurgeon, George Mueller, and Hudson Taylor. He does it really quickly, um, but just covers so much in there. Uh, they're two books really worth reading. Um, today, we're going to look at George Mueller. And uh, um, this is a guy who should inspire us because I think his story um, has a lot for us as a, as a, um, as a church, as a community. So George Mueller was born in, eight, in um, 1805, um, 1885 and died at 92, 1805 and died at 92. Um, he influenced guys like D.L. Moody, um, Spurgeon, Hudson Taylor, um, and he spent most of his life living in Bristol in England. He pastored a church for 66 years. Um, but he was a man that was deeply um, concerned with the way that the government and with the way that um, lo- the, lo- the, the people in authority were looking after those in need. He saw all this injustice, he saw all this poverty, and he struggled with how people were being looked after. Um, and most of all, he struggled with how children and children without parents were looked after in their society in England um, during the 1800s. So George Mueller decided to set up five things. He set up this institution because he was so disillusioned. And his five things, the five branches of his um, institution that he set up were these. The first was he set up a school for children and adults to teach the Bible. The second one was Bible distribution. The third one was book um, distribution. The fourth one was missionary support. And so a lot of them came through his church and they did incredible things with that. Um, the fifth one that George Mueller concentrated on was the one that he's most famous for. And the fifth branch of his, this institution was that they, that they would board, clothe, and scripturally educate destitute children who had lost both parents by death. And so that was their vision. That's the vision that they had. That's the vision that George Mueller set up. And so what they did is during the 1800s, during a really harsh time, during a harsh environment for kids who had lost both their parents, who had no hope, no future, um, and, and very little, um, very, very little, pe- very few people speaking into their lives and for their lives, welfare was basically non-existent. What George Mueller did was they opened up an orphan ministry. And so they opened up five large orphan houses and cared for, during his time, over 10,000 orphans. Um, when he started in 1834, there was accommodation for 36 um, orphans in all of England. And one of the greatest great effects of Mueller's ministry was to inspire others so that 50 years later, oh, sorry, there were 3,600 orphans in all of England that were looked after, And 50 years later, after Mueller began his work, over 100,000 orphans were cared for in England alone. So here is a man who had a really clear vision. And his vision was to care after those who could not look after themselves. It was to look after children who were on the street, who had no hope, no future, and had lost both their parents. And so what they did is they went about, because they were so disillusioned with what the world was doing to look after their kids, they went about doing whatever they could to look after these kids. And they set up these five houses. Um, what that did is it inspired justice, it inspired change. And throughout, by the end of his ministry, over 100,000 kids um, were being looked after. Over 100,000 orphans were being looked after. This is a man who never asked anyone for money. He prayed in millions of dollars. And the stories of George Mueller receiving money from different people um, are really ridiculous and they're worth looking up. The guy never took a salary. 
he never got paid. So he just trusted that people would look after him and that God would just um, provide for him. And that's exactly what happened throughout the course of his life. Um, he never went hungry and the orphans he looked after never went hungry. This is a man who was looking after over 10,000 orphans and he never, he never asked for money and not one of them um, ever went hungry. And we come here as a church and we've been meeting for a long, long time as a community. And some of you have been here for a long, long time. And we as a church, we need to have a vision that is really bold. George Mueller had a vision that was bold, really clearly given to him by God. And we as a church, we need to have a vision that is bold. We do some amazing things in this community. Some of the stuff we do um, throughout all generations is incredible. The youth work we do, the stuff we do with men's sheds, some of the stuff we do with women, some of the stuff we do with families and kids is really, really incredible. Um, where we've been involved in things like the Solomon Islands, with Wunan, with Indigenous ministry, some of the stuff that we as a community have been involved in and some of the stuff that God has graced upon us for us to be involved in, in ushering in the kingdom of heaven, we should be really, really excited by and proud of. But in many ways, we are just touching the surface. We are a centre that, that has deeply affected our local community and world, but we are a centre that should um, be looking to do that in much more creative and much more bold ways as we go forward. We should be a community that deeply cares for our local community, that is creative in the way in which we engage with our local community. We should be a community that deeply cares about the missionaries that we send around the world. Um, the way in which we looked after Pete and Joe Ong as a church, we should be really proud of that. But we shouldn't be stopping there. We should be having a vision for missionaries throughout the world that is really, really bold. We should have a vision for justice in, this, in the world in which we live that is so much bigger than we currently have. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I've got a feeling a lot of what we're going to be looking at over the next year is that God is going to be taking us down a path where we're going to be looking strategically at what we are a part of, what we do. How do the things, how do we use our hands that we have been given as a community to outwork justice in the world in which we live? I've got a feeling that a lot of where God is going to be taking us is looking at the things in which we as a community can be a part of doing um, to usher in the kingdom of heaven. But this passage, um, this verse, this, this section that we're looking at in Isaiah 55 is completely about enjoying God and trusting him above all else. We're moving into a season um, of big vision for this church, but big vision means absolutely nothing without integrity. If you look at vision throughout all of Scripture, the people who carried big vision, the people who, um, the way in which God works with vision is just about listening to Him. As, fo- as followers of Jesus, that's exactly what we are. We just need to be people who are really good at walking in step with Him. As we lead our families, as we lead our kids, Having a vision for our kids, having a vision for our family means walking in step and just behind Jesus. It means allowing him to have the strongest voice in our lives and being really good at listening to him. If you think about all the leaders throughout all the Old Testament and New Testament, these are people who were just brilliant at listening to God when it was difficult. They were brilliant at hearing his still, small voice. They didn't rush ahead of God, or sometimes they did. 
but they didn't rush ahead of God. They were good at listening to him. The thing I love about George Mueller's testimony, about his story, is that this is a man who achieved so, so much in his life. When we look at it for the kingdom, this is a man who influenced and impacted so many people's lives. And we as a church should be so impacted by the vision that he had. But this is a man who got Isaiah 55 verse 2 and 3. Because Isaiah 55 verse 2 and 3 is all about enjoying God. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and your, you, your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me that your soul may live. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. This is all about being satisfied in God. And we can have as people the biggest vision in the world. We as a church can have huge vision, but that means absolutely nothing if we as a community of people, if we as individuals, if we're not satisfied in God. We can really dangerously run ahead of who he is, of his will, of his plans for us in our lives. George Mueller got this. He got this so, so deeply. He says this, According to my own judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all else, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may have urgent claims upon your attention, but I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the first, the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and 30 years. And for the first four years of my conversion, I knew not its vast importance. But now, after much experience, I specially commend this point to you. Notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true and effective service in joy in, is joy in God, having experimental acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. Here is a man that accomplished so, so much. We live in a culture that is so driven. We want to do. And what George Mueller is saying to us, really, really simply, is that we as a people need to be satisfied in God. We need to be, we need to enjoy him. We need to be waking up in the morning and be, in, um, be overflowing with just his goodness because we are just enjoying him so much. I love my kids. I've shared that so many times. And one of the things that God's been pressing on me constantly is to just enjoy them. When I enjoy playing with them, they like my life is just so much better, but I'm such a better dad. When I engage with the things that they are passionate about, when I enjoy jumping on the trampoline, building a train set, um, just going wild, they enjoy that so much more. Um, we are called to enjoy our kids. We're called to enjoy our families. We're called to enjoy each other. But most of all, we're called to enjoy God. This is not religion. This is faith. And faith is meant to overflow in, in us. This is deep, deep joy through the good and through the bad. Because there is nothing in this world, and I said this last week, there is nothing in this world that is more contagious than belief. When you believe something, there is nothing that impacts someone else's life more than that. That's how I came to faith. A few weeks ago, I shared about whole egg mayonnaise. And you guys, you guys got it. Like you got my belief in that. Whole egg mayonnaise is the absolute best. I put it on everything. 
that week I would have had, I reckon, seven messages from people saying, went and bought whole egg mayonnaise and, uh, and it's good. Um, I had someone leave a jar of whole egg mayonnaise in my office. Like, I shared this story about whole egg mayonnaise because I believe that it is the best of all the spreads and I love it. Like, I genuinely love it. You can hear it in my voice when I talk about it. Like, I, I think it is just the tastiest thing in the world. I put it on everything. And you guys caught that. And that week, I'm getting all these messages about something so, so silly, but like, actually, this says so much to us. I believe in whole egg mayonnaise. And so what that did is meant, yeah, some of you went, yeah, I'm going to go to Woolies and I'm going to get whole egg mayonnaise. And, and some of you loved it. Some of you might not have. Some of you like are strange people. Um, there is nothing, nothing, nothing more contagious than someone who believes. And at the heart of our belief, the heart of our faith is this deep enjoyment that we are meant to have with God. This deep satisfaction that we are meant to have with God above all else. As a community, we need to have huge vision. As a community, we need to do um, huge things. We need to outwork the book of James. We need to do that. We should do that. But the way in which that will be fruitful over the long haul is if that comes out of an overflow of who our relationship is with. If we are this cup that God is pouring grace into and we allow him to pour that grace to the top and then overflow into the world in which we live, it means we are deeply satisfied and we are overflowing that into the world in which we live. If we believe something, if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if we believe that he is the one that brings us more satisfaction than anything else that this world can offer on a daily basis, guess what? People catch that. People believe that. People sit there and go, you've got something I don't. I can sit there and Amy can cook pumpkin. I hate pumpkin. She can cook pumpkin and I can sit there in front of the kids and I know that they should be eating pumpkin, right? I know that as a dad. And I can sit there and I can mouth some of this pumpkin and like my face is like, it's no good. And I can try and put it in my mouth and convince my kids that, yeah, you should be eating this because this is real good. They're picking up on that. They know that pumpkin's no good. They look at their dad and go, I don't believe what is coming out of your mouth. Truth is, what is our response to God? Because I think too often we get caught in these, um, caught in this, these stages of life. We get caught in these rhythms and these, these flows where we know like our kids should be eating pumpkin. We know that it's healthy. We know that God is good. We know that we want to be sharing God with the people around us. But we are not experiencing it. And if we are not experiencing it, why would anyone want to experience that same thing? Mission at the heart of it is about us being in relationship with the people around us. But even more fundamentally than that, it's about being in relationship with God. If we are experiencing God in all his fullness, if we are being filled to the brink with joy in the deepest sense of the word joy through the good, through the bad, if we are happy in God, there is nothing more contagious than that. And I know this is true because this is how I came to know Jesus. As a 16-year-old, and I shared this last week, there was a guy in the year above me who just believed and his faith was contagious. We as a community need to have a big vision. But more than that, we need to enjoy God. 
We need to enjoy his grace and his mercy. We need to have fun with him. We need to allow him to usher in the kingdom of heaven, not just to the world in which we live, not just into our local community, but into our lives, into every area of our lives. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. The writer in Isaiah isn't saying give it away as the first thing you do. The writer in Isaiah is saying eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. When your soul, when we delight, when our spirit, when we delight in God above all else, that is contagious. That is attractive. That is beautiful. And as a community of people, if we, if our, the vision for this community is that we would delight in God above all else, I promise you everything else will fall into place. The doing will fall into place. What we are being called into is a season where we delight in God above all else. Because when we do that, we magnify him. When we do that, we say to the world in which we live, we say to each other that he is worth more than everything else the world can offer. And when that happens, everything falls into place. I heard this week as I sat down with someone, um, someone just described Nell. And she's one simple sentence. And she just said, Nell, she she just loves Jesus. And we know, like, if you know Nell, you know that's true. It's spot on. But we know that is true about Nell. We know that she says ridiculously funny things. We know she's got a little bit of a crush on me. Um, deep crush, that's right. But I know that Nell loves Jesus. I know that she does. It's contagious whenever you come in contact with her. And when I sat down with this person this week, it was the most simple sentence. Ah, now she just loves Jesus. She believed it. The thing that as we go into this week, just take something that's really big and just make it really, really small. Make it really achievable. As we go into this week, just focus on enjoying God. Sometimes that's really difficult. So sometimes that means being like Jacob and wrestling with God. You might have emotions as you go into this week that aren't feeling pleasant about God. When I talk about enjoying God, I mean that there are times when we, what I mean by that is that we engage with God. What I mean by that is that we take the posture like David, where through the good and through the bad, we do not give up on God. We wrestle with him. We question him. There are times where we enjoy him above all else that's really obvious. There are times where we enjoy him above all else. But what that means is that we engage and wrestle with him. We question him. We ask him hard questions. We take a posture like David did. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear to me, hear me, that your soul may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Father, we just thank you that you are a God of grace. Father, we do not measure up and we thank you you don't call us to measure up. We want to thank you for what you did on the cross. We want to thank you that you rose again and we want to thank you that you're a God that is really kind. 
And so, Father, as we go into this week, I want to pray that you would just give us fresh revelation of you. If we're not enjoying you at the moment, Father, I want to pray that you would help us with that. We thank you that you are a good Father. We thank you that you come running towards us. We thank you that you have a vision for our lives that is so much greater than we could possibly have. And so, Father, I want to pray that as we go into this week that we would just be good at um, good at enjoying you and good at engaging with you. As we open your word, Father, I want to pray that you would just speak fresh things to us. As we sit down and just um, listen to you, as, as we sit down to pray, Father, I want to pray that they'd be rich times for us. I want to pray that your hand would be completely over this church. That, Father, we'd be a people who are really good at listening to you. We'd be a people who are really good at allowing you to have the strongest voice in this place and we just get in behind and follow you. And, Father, we just pray that in all of this, that your name above all else would be magnified and glorified in our lives, in our families' lives, in our workplaces, in our friendships. As we go into this week, Father, I pray that your name would be glorified by us enjoying you above all else. In your name. Amen.